0: Welcome to the New School at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation and special demonstration of Japanese calligraphy with Shota Harada Roshi. This conversation is titled The Calligraphy of Emptiness, The Zen of Dying, and is hosted by Michael Lerner. Welcome, Roshi. So glad to have you here.
1: Yeah. I want to mention that um, Roshi's Translator uh, Daichi, uh, Priscilla Daiichi Sturant, who's a fellow monk uh, of Roshi's, is um, a extraordinary teacher in her own right, a senior teacher, and I will say more about her. But um, you will get a sense from the depth of her translations um, that uh, this is a very profound being uh, and a beloved friend and um, I'm honored that that she has done so much to help Roshi uh, uh, spread the teachings. So um, I'll start with a a formal introduction of Shota Harada Roshi. Uh, He's a Rinzai priest, author, and head abbot of Sogenji, a 300-year-old temple in Okayama, Japan, and has become known as a teacher of teachers with masters from various lineages come to sit Seishin with him in Japan or during his trips to the United States and Europe. He was born into a Zen temple in 1940 in Nara, Japan. And while still in high school, he encountered his teacher Mumon Yamada while running an errand for his father. He was impressed by how little he knew of Buddhism at this encounter. After college, he entered Shofukuji and began his training in 1962 under Rinzai master and Japanese calligrapher, Muman Yamada, from whom he received Dharma transmission in 1982. In 1982, he was sent by Mumon Roshi to Sogenji, which is where he's still based, to help an elderly abbot to tend to the building and training temple, as had schedules. And then in 1989, he came to the United States, and we're here today to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Roshi coming to the United States. Uh, So in 1995, he founded One Drop Zendo, or Tahoma One Drop Zendo, on Whidbey Island in Washington, north of Seattle. Uh, And he also uh, has students and centers in uh, in Europe and in India, as well as in Japan and the United States. We also are pleased uh, that today um, Daiichi, who I mentioned, is the uh, vice abbot of the Tahoma uh, uh, Zendo in Washington, and so is Dairene. Dairene, where are you? Dairene is right, right, just raise a hand. Dairene is also a vice abbot of the uh, Tahoma uh, monastery and is there in residence a great deal of the time and is again an extraordinary soul and we're grateful to have you here today. Um, So with that, I will step aside and ask uh, a gifted friend and great Zen teacher, Yvonne Rand, to just say a few words about Roshi.
2: It's uh, very difficult to say anything about Roshi because there is so much that I could say about Roshi. Um, I had the good fortune of uh, having some time to practice with Muman Yamada Roshi and so I'm especially grateful to have uh, Roshi uh, alive and present and demonstrating what it means to be awake. Uh, for me, he's a, a complete um, example of the benefits, the experience, of being present moment by moment, one thing at a time. Uh, I think that especially for us in this culture, we can get bogged down by uh, a, a lot of luggage. And uh, what what I uh, look forward to in being with uh, uh, Roshi today is to experience what it means to be completely present, one Pointedness at a time, along with his ability to be present. There's also a kind of manifestation of of uh, open heartedness and generosity, and that combination I find uh, inspiring and uh, a guiding uh, presence. Anyway, I'm very pleased to be one of all of us here with uh, with Roshi and. Uh, ex- exploring with him what it means to be present. Uh, Particularly uh, for the last 50 years, I've been keeping people company while they're dying and then take care of their body afterwards. So uh, there is that dimension in my experience that is uh, very much informed by my experience with Muman Roshi and with Roshi today. Thank you very much. And uh, please come carry forth.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Yvonne, so much. So um, with that, I'm going to introduce Shota Harada Roshi, who will uh, speak to you briefly about what he's going to do, but from up here with uh, Chisan, uh, which is uh, Daiichi's shorter version of her name, translating for him.
3: はい<咳> <今日はよくお集まりいただきました。いただきます。えー、咳>
4: He said, thank you everyone for coming today. He said he's very honored for this opportunity and to have the introduction by Michael Lerner and of Ivan Rand, an old friend who has been teaching for a long time in the San Francisco area to have their introduction and to be with everyone today to even a little bit further to bring together and tie together the important threads of all of our karmic affiliation. First of all, what he's going to be making today is something called boku seki, which means the, footprint, the, prints, the footprints of the sumi paint. It's not calligraphy. Calligraphy has certain, it's not oriental calligraphy, which has certain rules about it, and it's not really artwork. He doesn't know exactly what to category to put it in, but he would like to say that its origin and its current expression is of people of Zen expressing their state of mind, not art, not calligraphy. It's a way to put that across and to share that. And that is what he is going to make today. What he will be writing today are Zen phrases. Zen phrases is is a particular kind of work, which is that often the words of the ancients, the great teachings, also everyday phrases in the usually Chinese language, or people who have a deep profound state of mind having said poetic things, but the point of them is they would have an impact. They will deeply touch a person's mind when they read or see these words. The words of the great sixth patriarch, who is the sixth ancient after Bodhidharma brought the teaching of Zen from India to China, he said, Zen is mind's name, and mind is the flow of Zen. In that ongoing flow where these states of mind come flowing forth, that which is being experienced is what is written in a Zen phrase. He said, from now he will write these phrases that express the mind's way of being, and as he writes them, because it's not always so clear from just the words, he will give a short description, but more effective, is if you see them and feel what the words mean deeply inside of yourself. From the origin, not one single thing.
3: These
4: are the words of the sixth patriarch, whom we just quoted. From the origin, in our mind, there is not one single thing. Serene mind is not moved around. In our everyday life, all sorts of things come to us, but it is like the deep water. The surface of the water has the waves that come from the eastern blowing wind, the western blowing wind, but the bottom of the water is quiet and serene. Every day good day.
3: <laughs> every day is a good day <laughs>
4: <laughs> and if you know that deep serene quiet place the bottom of the water in our serene mind then every day is a good day
3: 水流れて元海にいる
4: water flowing returns to its source. Many rivers, many kinds of water moving, but all of them eventually return to their source, the ocean. The same with our state of mind. All of us eventually return to the one great huge state of mind. The moon goes down, but it never separates from the sky. In the same way, our mind, which is concerned with many different things, never is separated from its source of the great mind. Each one, everyone, is perfect as is. In each and everything, there is nothing missing, everything fulfilled. Without birth, without death, many things arise in our mind, but because, because something arises in our mind doesn't mean that it is always there. Something leaves, something arises, something leaves. These things are always, whatever they are, they come and go in our mind, coming and going, but they have no effect on the mind's origin From the origin, the mind is empty.
3: Kokku koumio, kanarazu seidai nari. These words
4: that were just put out, great efforts, without fail, bring great light. These are the words that are about, they're written by by the master Jimyo, and Jimyo was a very deeply dedicated, burning, passionate monk who went and trained with a very strict master who even had them putting cold water on themselves in very chilly weather and very severe training and as a result he was deeply awakened. And about him and his expression of his training was that for sure great efforts will bring great light. Later in Japan Master Hakuin was going through a very difficult time. Who He who became the greatest master ever in Japan was very afraid of going to hell when he was a young monk. And in order to be free from this great fear of hell, he started Zen practice. Then when he was practicing, he heard that a great Zen master, Ganto, was killed by a bunch of gangsters who came to his temple, and he said, well, if Zen training isn't going to help Master Ganto not be killed by a bunch of gangsters, how is it going to help me not go to hell? So he gave up for a while, and then he decided to go back to his training and if he's sh- trying to see if he should or not, he closed his eyes and he prayed to his, his favorite local god. And then he went into all the books that were being dried for the dry the, the bug drying season, to get all the bugs out of the books. And he opened it with his eyes closed. And what he came to were these words, great efforts without fail bring great light. And he returned to his Zen training with renewed vigor. <laughs> Ichigo Ichie, in our life, every encounter offers us one opportunity. And this is an opportunity in each encounter that we never find twice in life.
3: These
4: are also words from the Heart Sutra, Soku zē shiki. That which has form has emptiness. Everything in existence has what is, the word that is used for form has color, has, has a colored appearance. Otherwise, if it was only bright light or other wise darkness we couldn't differentiate it but because it has color we can see a thing in the same way though it comes from deep emptiness the universe which cannot be envisioned comes into form in each and every person
3: funi no kono sekai funi desu
4: the mysterious path of not two, funi myodo. this is how everything in the universe is. As he just said, we have the universe, and we have what it manifests, and yet those are not two separate things. We have that which is seen, and that which is seeing it, but those are not two separate things. All of these are two, but they're not two. This is the mysterious path. In zazen we are seeing our own face but that is one it is like a mirror which is reflecting a mirror there are two but there is only one
3: sendi do so iu miru to doko mo kashikomo onaji
4: For one thousand miles, the same clear wind. And when we see how all of it is one, we see that everything and in every place is the same clear wind. The spring wind blows, the grasses return to growth. We think that if we die, our bodies die, that it's all over, but in fact that which we have offered and given to society, for example, is kept going by others who have taken what we have learned and keep it growing and keep it going on to other people. Therefore, how our lives have been lived doesn't end at the end of our physical life. It continues through those that we have touched deeply. This does not mean to say that there is some, some, something that keeps alive and keeps going. It doesn't have that implication. It means that how we live our life and how we give to others and in all ways continues. Ten thousand waters, ten thousand moons. Whatever we have holding water, if it's a cup, if it's a puddle, if it's a thimble, if it's a huge lake, in any of those, the moon can be reflected. When our mind is clear, then we can reflect things exactly as they are.
3: Bandi, kumo, nashi, bandi, no ten. Oozora wa masani
4: itteno... Bandi, kumo, nashi, banki, no ten. Bandi, no ten. For 10,000 miles, a completely clear sky. For 10,000 miles, not one single cloud. This is the true state of our original nature.
3: Heiji, kore... Everyday mind, that is Joshua, you have the one who is who
4: is the one monk who died at age of 120 asked his own teacher Nansen it is said that the orders of the heavens and earth are our true nature and to be in accordance with our true nature that is the path so what is the path? he asked his teacher Nansen and his teacher Master Nansen then said the everyday mind that is the path and so his student again asked well how do we know what the how do we know what the everyday mind is to which his teacher answered if you say you know it then it's not the everyday mind but if you say you don't know it then it's unconscious and blind to everyday live in deep creative and inventive awareness of your state of minds profundity without knowing you are doing something to do it by becoming it completely when we whisk tea for the tea ceremony we don't even have an idea of now i'm whisking tea there is a poem that said playing the shamisen to do it with your not with your hands but to do it with your mind in quiet minded playing of the shamisen forget your hands completely when we play the piano we forget all of the sheep music and become it totally forgetting ourselves completely is being in the path
3: shono matsu oi kumo shindoka kōyō shinkyō ni ma watashitachi mo desu
4: shōdo unkan many pines and cold unkan 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 Quiet clouds and many. Shōro Unkan. Many pines and quiet clouds. Quiet clouds. <laughs> these are the words of Master Rinzai.
3: Rinzai's Shin'kyō or Rinzai Robu's Jōbun is conveying these words.
4: In the preface to the records of Rinzai, um, written by one of his disciples, it describes Rinzai's state of mind in his old age, and this is this is um, one of the lines of that. It's a beautiful piece of those of those records. Yeah. Sitting in the Moon Water Dojo, Suigetsu Dojo Nizasu, this is the state of mind of our most advanced zazen, where the moon reflects in the water, yet we have no thought about the moon or the water. When we can live our life doing what we're doing wholeheartedly, but with no sense at all of our even being the doing of it, just to be the being of it completely and totally. This is the end of our writing time right now.
0: Thank you, Roshi, so much. You're listening to a conversation with Shoda Harada Roshi and Michael Lerner. Shoda Harada Roshi, welcome to the new
1: school. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank yeah. you very much. You are here with your Colleague Daiichi Priscilla Durant, Priscilla Daiichi Durant, who is a a fellow monk. Uh, You are a Rinzai priest, author, and head abbot of Sogenji, a 300-year-old temple in Okayama, Japan. And uh, you also have a Center Tahoma uh, One Drop Zen Monastery on Whidbey Island, north of Seattle. You have centers in Germany and in India, and you have um, students all around the world. Uh, our colleague Yvonne Rand from Zen Center, who's here today, uh, memorably introduced you as a Zen teacher, Zen teacher, on one of the previous occasions where she introduced you. And uh, it's been my great privilege to know you since 1993, when my wife, Charlotte, and I came to so Genji, and um, my son then came and spent time with you as a young man, learned how to play blues harmonica while he was at your uh, Zen Center, <laughs> this contribution from uh, one of your students, still plays. And,
4: uh,
1: <laughs> um, and you're, you're known especially for having opened um, the serious teaching of Zen to Western students and students from around the world. Uh, So, one goes to your centers and one finds uh, young people from all over the world, or older people as well, uh, who, who really want serious Zen training. So this is a quite fierce Zen training, but open to people from all around the world. What is death, Roshi?
4: He said, it's
3: like
4: going to sleep at
3: night.
4: <laughs> one life ends, one day ends.
1: Is there anything after death?
4: after he doesn't know if it's a me that he doesn't know that if it's a me or if it's a not me but it doesn't end Mm -hmm.
1: so while you were doing the calligraphy you spoke of how the way we touch other people goes on after death. So clearly that's true. We live on
4: in that way.
1: But in addition to that, the question that always rises.
4: Is there
1: is whether consciousness itself, in some form, in some form that we are aware of being. Um, I mean, we can say we rejoin the universe. Clearly true. But is a self-aware consciousness something that continues after death?
4: I know, so you finish you know, I know, de koto ga kedo sono ato その、<笑>
3: だから初め何年 since
4: it wasn't him who was born He has no need to know how that will be afterwards He said that this which is now he thinks of it like a candle a candle a lit a lit candle burns itself up completely yet its light continues in another unburned yet unburned candles burning he said it is like this keeping going of a light of a candle his own deep faith his own deep awareness will be alive when that same kind of faith and aliveness is in the next candle. We have the words of the great Zen poet, Master Ryokan, who said, I have nothing to leave anyone, nothing to, no inheritance to leave behind, only that in the spring there are hundreds of flowers And in the summertime, the song of the meadowlark. In the autumn, the turning colors of the maple leaves. Ryokan, who was so poor, was saying to everyone, I have nothing to leave for you when I die. And yet, please, when you see the flowers of the spring, know that there is Ryokan. When you feel the cool breeze of the summer and hear the meadowlark singing, know that there is Ryokan. And in the colors of the turning maple leaves, please find me. These were the last words of Master Jokam.
1: So beautiful. There is a line, I think, from the Dhammapada, which is the great Pali canon Buddhist teaching. Many people feel somehow the words of the Buddha are particularly clearly uh, remembered there. And if I have it right, it's a line from somewhere. I think it's from the Dhammapada. The Buddha says in this line he says even the wise fear death life clings to life. Why would the Buddha say even the wise fear death life clings to life. Beautiful.
4: Ano hokokyo ni aru no kotoba desu kedo minna ga sono okyo wa tokuni oshaka-san no kotoba dakara daisuki no no kotoba de no okyo de sono naka ni wa 知恵
3: 社会自分の本質に本当に
4: He said that there are many different kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom of knowing how to operate in the world and having many, many practical things known well kind of wisdom. And then there is the wisdom of knowing directly the original mind. Someone who has the experience of knowing directly the original mind without any question will not be afraid of death. But if someone even knows that, that there is that possibility, even if they're wise in mental understanding of that possibility, if they don't know that directly, they will fear death because they don't haven't yet experienced that mind which doesn't know death, doesn't experience death. And he thinks that's what those words are referring to.
1: One of your students... Uh extraordinary man named kyo who lives here in Bolinos, uh, I'm honored to know him, uh, a very senior student of yours, reminded me that, um, and I remembered reading the story, that you had a student uh, on death row in an Arkansas prison. And um, you and Chi-san and Kyo-san went to visit him on death row, and he asked you, if Kyo-san's memory is correct, what he should hold in his mind at the moment of death. What did you
4: tell him? no, <laughs> no, <laughs> 大寧
3: he um, is guessing this is what he
4: said. He's not exactly sure what he said, but he said that about this question, um, there is Actually, nothing to hold on to at all in our clear mind. Nothing. Um, And nothing to do, nothing to hold on to, nothing to think about. But because this disciple of his has not yet realized that true nature directly, then he has a lot of fear still. And when he has a lot of fear, because he needs something to um, hold on to because of that state of mind of fear, he said for him to envision some kind of Heaven or some kind of paradise, some kind of way of of relieving that fear by envisioning something like that. He suspects that that's what he said.
3: <laughs> he
4: said, this is an example of looking at the other person, one teaches the Dharma.
1: Yes. One of the things you did at Tahoma One Drop Monastery on Whidbey Island, north of Seattle, is to create a Zen hospice called Enso House. Um, And uh, my understanding is that you created it um, because you believe that it's an important part of a Zen student's training to actually witness and support people in the process of dying. Why is
4: that? Why is it important for Zen students to do that? no ni Sono ni 医者
3: 仏の出世に私たち到底届くと Connojin or He said in the Lotus
4: Sutra. We have the words, how rare it is to be able to receive birth as a human being. How rare it is in the world of a belief in life and death to be able to be in life. How rare it is to be able to receive the opportunity to hear the true teaching how rare it is to be able to encounter a teacher to enable us to experience and live in this true teaching. This precious human life that has taken four billion six million years to be able to be given and to be able to be evolved into, we have been able to receive this precious opportunity as a human being and we are alive maybe we only have this tiny short window of a hundred years to make the best possible use of this incredible opportunity and this incredible opportunity to realize our true nature directly is with us right this moment to be able to even if we are not to be able to realize directly our Buddha nature, to not waste these precious years of a very hard-to-come-by birth, to be able to live in a way in these very hard-to-come-by short years that is not only something for our own small self, personal satisfaction, but something which offers to all beings in society, to take advantage of that possibility is very important. And that is why he says this is an important thing for people in training.
1: Mm. As you know, we've offered the Cancer Help Program at Commonwealth for 30 years, and so um, this has been sort of my central life work, is um, uh, doing retreats for people with cancer and Um, so we've had many deaths over those 30 years. Um, And something, this is a hard question, um, but it is one that concerns me, particularly uh, uh, since not only you, but many of the other Zen teachers here in the Bay Area who are involved with Zen hospice and other uh, situations do encourage Zen students to do this. um, And my concern is this. There, um, There are some Zen students who sit with the dying who really are helpful. They're deeply, profoundly helpful. There are others that I would not want to be with me if I were dying because the feeling they give me is that they're not really there for me They're there because this is an important part of their self-concept, that they are more spiritually enlightened than other people, and part of their deep compassion is their work for the dying. And so they talk about it at cocktail parties and at every opportunity in some sense. And I feel that they're feeding on. The person who is dying. And I have a tremendously strong negative reaction to that. I mean, I can let go of that negative reaction. It doesn't preoccupy me. But when it happens, I just feel that something is truly missing um, and that the motivation is one for personal enlightenment and not of real service. They're not really present. So my question, because it's actually an active one, is that if one encourages then students, either here in the Bay Area or at Enso House or elsewhere to do this, how does one protect the dying from those who come with this kind of self-concept, which really, um, I think, is harmful, actively harmful?
4: 本田彼が今とても言ってよ私があなたより he said, they're still very unripe. He said,
3: they're still very unripe. 死者その he said that um, the, he's
4: very he's very up on this this not so good possibility and, <laughs> and he is always always telling the people who are going to Enso House to help, that, you know, you cannot think that you are anyone other than this person dying. Mm. He said, you must look very carefully at the moment when this person dies and see that is you. Mm. That's not somebody else dying there, and you're not watching somebody. And some people who go really deeply actually see this, and he has one student who said, who was so, um, Realizing the importance and the actual of what the roshi was saying to him, that he said, "You know, that person," he said, "There was something there still as alive as the doctors and the nurses and the people in the room. It wasn't that person that had ever been alive. It was the space they were in that was alive. I saw that this space is alive," Mm. and he actually had deep, deep realization of what that being alive of that space was. So there are students who understand that, but the Roshi is, is very dogged at making sure that they aren't doing it in the way you're talking about, because he knows how, how, un, how, how not a positive effect that is on anybody in the room or any place else, but as he said,
1: unripe. Mm-hmm. I think about 10, 12 years ago, I had a heart attack, as you know, and um, And I had a very interesting experience because um, I'd been doing the evenings on death and dying in the cancer health program for roughly 20 years at that point, but I'd never been close to death myself. So as I was being flown over from the Bolinas soccer field in a little tiny helicopter to the hospital in the East Bay, I'd always wondered how I would be, and I knew I was having a heart attack. I didn't know whether I would live or not. And I realized, when I was up in the air, over the bay, that I loved life with every fiber of my being, but that if it was my time to go, I was okay. And I was interested as much in this realization that I was actually okay if it was my time to go. And at the same time, holding this intense love of life, because that's how I live. And um, so I felt that and went over to the um, hospital and um, they put the catheter in my heart, you know, and uh, they had a song called Knock, Knock, Knocking on Heaven's Door playing while... (laughs) Fine until they told me it was a good heart attack and sent me home. A good heart attack. Yeah, they sent me home. You're going to be fine. And then I began to be afraid. And what I realized was that if I'm far enough from death, I'm not afraid. If I'm close enough to death, I'm not afraid. But there is a band of fear that I have to traverse. So, for example, if I began to have heart symptoms, you know, of a heart attack, I would be afraid. Um, and yet, if I came close enough to the possibility of really dying, I don't think I would be afraid. So my experience is there's a kind of band of fear I have to go through. What do you think?
4: ジュニナーンこれ人生が大好きで自分でもけれど、その愛だね。すぐ快い時期あるのね。
3: 釈雲尼菩薩お、活性させておる意識作用。この意識作用というものはいろんな感情が当然あります。これは肉体の問題迷う、不安、痛み、不安、でしたちにね半魚の中、え、幽居魚の中ではっきり体を持ってるということは外にも出るとる私たち努力しなければいけません。そして自分たちの心の中に you're listening
0: to a conversation with Shodohorada Roshi and Michael Lerner. He said that the
4: Buddha said, you no, know, Master Rinzai has said, in this five-foot lump of red flesh, there is a true person Of no rank, always coming in and going out." And this is what that is saying, is that we are both a state of mind which is within our body and also outside of our body, hugely extending in every direction and filling the whole universe, but also that comes in and out and it is also inside our body. So he said that we are at times very much in our body, and at times a state of mind which is huge and all-embracing. And he talks about <clears throat> at the time that the Buddha was entering Padi Nirvana, the Buddha himself taught about how there is a, an awakening and, and also a death when we still have our body, and then one where we are beyond our body. For example, when we have an awakened mind, but we are still caught on our body, is one version of that. But the Buddha, when being the Buddha, when he was dying, he said to his students, stop crying and don't grieve. Finally, I'm going to be freed from my physical body Attachment with, comes with the having of a physical body. To, you can be awakened and you can know about the hugeness of clear mind, but as long as you still have a physical body, you have attachments to that physical body. That's just how it is. And now when he was dying from dying at a time when he was able to even know that huge awakening to the fact that he wasn't only a human body, he still had the connections to it in that he is one still. But he's saying to his students, now I will be able to drop this and not have these attachments in this physical body. And he said, I'm now to be free, and so don't grieve and don't cry. And Roshi is saying that to forget that body completely was probably the state of mind you were in when you felt no fear. But then when you return to feeling your body again, in that you have a body still, that is when the fear comes. And in the body's knowingness, we feel fear, we feel we feel misery, we feel struggling, but that is in our body that we feel that, and we can know that that's we can know and we have can have experienced greatness of mind and still feel very much those things in body, having both possibilities. So he said, this is why we have training. He said, "You have training as a soccer player or as a piano player, and you forget yourself completely. In the doing of that, you don't even know that you're doing those things. When you really, really, really practice hard and become a person who have played soccer and can forget themselves completely, or forget, play the piano and forget yourself completely. But he said that um, we have a hard time in forgetting this body, especially because the emotions are very, very sticky." Emotions are sticky in the same way as when you cut a lotus root. There are these thin strings, these threads. They're not even strings. And you cut a lotus root through plainly and sharply, and there's still these thin threads. And our emotions cling. We are clinging. That, that clingingness continues and continues and continues. And that's why the training, so that we can keep remembering that we are not this body, even though these things that are of our body continue to return and return and return, Because of this um, very, very, very sticky clingingness and caughtness on being a body, we do the training to allow ourselves to be able to see that's not the only thing we are. And that's why training is so important. But he said that this question you've asked about that band of fear is when you are identifying with your body.
1: Very often, people who um, do a lot of work or just have family experiences that put them in the presence of dying a lot um, become exhausted by the experience or burned out. Um, And um, I was talking to somebody about this once, and... um, they made a distinction between, um, i trying to remember the words they used, but um, one, was, um, one was feeling what the person was feeling. There's a better word for that, but that's what it meant. And the other was compassion. And the idea was that if, I'm just trying this out on you, that if you um, are actively feeling what the person is feeling, that can be exhausting. Um, if you are, if you feel deep compassion for what they're feeling, but you're not actually feeling it, it is less exhausting. And, but when you spoke about how a Zen student should actually see that this is herself or himself dying. That suggests to me that the Zen student is in the place where she or he is actively experiencing what the person is experiencing. And I wonder, perhaps for a Zen student, an advanced Zen student, that is something that they could sustain. But for many of us who are more ordinary people, um, that's very difficult. So I guess I'm just wondering whether that distinction—there's a good word for uh, that, uh, empathy. There you go. If you, thank you. If you, if if you're feeling empathy, you're experiencing the pain, and compassion is a different place, um, and you know you feel deep concern and caring but you're not actually experiencing the pain so which which should a Zen student do and uh, if the Zen student is to experience it as himself or herself mm-hmm. then isn't that empathy as opposed
4: mm-hmm. to I I no caregiver なのにかけてての世話するしてはバナのすることはよくそして西崎
3: けれど、詰まらあの本の中に書いてあります。ちゃんとだから自分が考えを持ったらダメ。何も考え持たずにその人になれる。パイプの中赤字通るだけじゃろ。自分の思い込みがやっぱりあるんです。人間にはね、何かしてあげたい、何かしてあげて、頭の中空っぽにする同調してるだけ、同感を同調してるだけ。それをやればお互い and it's good i so not know 書いてるはずです。だからそう you こともよくわかって書いてる。悪 this very very subtle um difference um it's just
4: the it's just a kind of important splitting hairs that you and roshi can do together. he said the difference is um he tells his students to feel that it is yourself dying, not to feel, not to try to experience what that other person is uh-huh. doing and dying. Mm-hmm. And that's really that's the that's the very very tender point that you're that you're turning on in this mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's the, what everything he says it's about that that difference of seeing this. And he said that Vimala Kirti, who, um, who wrote a sutra about. Um, about the the major part of the story being him being sick and him being visited is extremely subtle and deep on this very on this whole subject and his basic line is that um, when we go to visit a person who is sick, which is covering all this and much more, mm-hmm. we must never think of them as a sick person mm. um, We can't have any idea when we go to visit them, having no idea whatsoever. Is what is truly visiting a sick person. And he said, if we have any idea about visiting a sick person and we should be doing this or that, that's when we get tired. Uh-huh. Because we think of them as a sick person and ourselves not. And I, that doesn't mean we should think of them, us as a sick person, like them. It means that we have no, hang on to no thinking about it whatsoever. He said, and this, this was a piece he said, if we're with somebody, and what they, they raise their hand in a tissue, we're just gonna give it to them. We don't have to think about having to do that. It will happen. So if our mind is empty, those things will just spontaneously happen with this person. So when we have an idea of I should be doing this, I must do that, or that person is doing this, and how do I become like them, all of that is off the board. Mm-hmm. And he said that if there's any thought about that at all, then, then that's, that's not the, the most appropriate way to be in this situation. Mm-hmm so we can forget everything, forget ourselves, forget the person as a sick person, let go of all of that. And he said that it's not so easy to do. And he often says to his students who, for example, something that simple is also in the same way simple but difficult. In zazen, people who can't breathe, when he's teaching them breathing and they have to just be their breath, they have a hard time getting caught and stuck. And he tells them to, and this is also useful for what we're talking about, be an empty pipe just be an empty pipe and in an empty pipe state of mind being the empty pipe there's no he said our problem is that we get caught on thinking we should be in there with somebody or with a person who we're we're being over empathetic with we're supposed to be doing a something or being a something like being exchanging ourselves and, and being in their state of mind he said all of that is a mistake we should just be sharing the space be in the same space together, with holding on to no thoughts about what needs to be done. He said, We're gonna do it. It's gonna we're gonna it's we're naturally gonna be there in the best way, but not if we have thoughts about trying to empathize with them. And he said, and that's that's where the compassion is, when we can forget every single idea, even of having to be compassionate or having to be empathetic. Let go of all of those paradigms and just be empty. And a, and a kind of a way to do that is be an empty pipe.
1: Thank you. I will, uh, first of all, thank you, Roshi. And I'm going to open it up now for a few questions. We have about 10 or 12 minutes. If you'd please keep the questions short so we can hear from as many people as possible, because with translation, each question takes time. And and, um, I will repeat the question for the purposes of the recording. So, any questions? Yvonne?
2: Um, I have, for the last 50 years, kind of stunned when I say that, been keeping people company when they, have, uh, when they are uh, dodged. And that has included, for me, sitting with the person in the midst of a very big field. Five acres to my right, to my left, in front, behind, above, and below. And when I am in that spaciousness, my capacity to be present with whatever is happening with the person in our exchange or want of it, uh, there isn't an entanglement. But there is the possibility of keeping someone company
4: while they are going through this process. And I
2: include sitting with the body for three days after they have died. So it's it's, it's an extended uh, period. And uh, there's a challenge in having your life organized such that you can go do that kind of thing with somebody where you're not railroading your schedule under their dying process. But for me, it's been a, a significant, major piece in terms of a kind of spiritual uh, awakening and connectedness with all
1: beings and things. Thank you for
3: that. <laughs> 皆ん だから第3者でなければできない。それ 介護あの、あ、時間的にかからなければならないようにだからできる限り
4: Roshna, this is this is very what you're saying is so important. And he said that um, he said that it's really um, he brings in the example of people who are taking care of Alzheimer parents or family members. How hard it is, and this is an example of how he said what you're saying is is relevant also not just to people who are dying, but to caregivers in general and the burning out process we hear about so often or experience so often. He said this example of how to be in our mind is so hard to, to do but so necessary. He said people, and he explains his view and his experience people with Alzheimer's in the family, they are doing things that people don't know how to take, they don't know how to live with. It has brought down their own personal dignity and brings down that of the families and dealing with them in, on those matters. And so for those people to be able to find that state of mind of the huge field in every direction is very, very difficult. And that is why he thinks, for example, um, even someone who is a home home helper, do we have that word in English, a home helping care person unless they were of unusually deep, deep um, essence, it's very difficult for them to come and provide this huge big field in the treating of the patient and the caring for the patient as well. So he said that this is a situation where he thinks maybe moving around in the different ways of this home hospice, people going in to help who are not connected to the person. When we are closely involved with a person, even a home helper who is, that's their livelihood, We are entangled in a very, very difficult-to-extract-ourselves way with a large amount of self-consciousness relative to the person who's being cared for. And that self-consciousness entangles us more and more. Therefore, if someone who is not so personally involved with the person is able to spend time with them, that's a very important thing. Nevertheless, covering this whole topic, it is very important for every person to know just how far they can go with this, For us to know inside of ourselves how much we can offer and not try to go beyond that. To be able to see that limit that we each have of being able to be offer what we can offer for each of us to take that responsibility and how our own life is, our own state of mind is and not go beyond that, not try to go beyond that. Yeah.
2: I've, des- I've developed this capacity to abide in a big space Mm -hmm. by starting with a situation that's not challenging in the way that being with someone is Mm -hmm. dying or has died Mm -hmm. might bring up. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of developing a sense of how to uh, reorganize my sense of where I am and who I am and what I'm doing with this spaciousness, then it becomes accessible in more,
4: Challenging situations. ivan yeah. yeah. uh, that He said, and that's Zazen.
1: (laughs) And that is a a perfect note on which to uh, conclude this. Um, Roshi and Chi-san, I I want to conclude by saying this. Uh, This is, as we said at the start, this is the 25th anniversary of your coming to the United States. We thank you for coming to celebrate it here. we are so honored by your friendship, the friendship of your community, the connection between uh, Tahoma and here and Sogenji. Um, you've been so generous uh, with your time and friendship. Um, I'm, I'm always aware when I see you that we're both at an age where we never know whether we will see each other again. And on the one hand, I know we both hope for 10, 20 more years of service, active service, to to our work. And on the other hand, this might be the last time. And so it's with that sense of just deep gratitude. Uh, May it go on for many years, but for however long it goes on. your friendship and uh, vision, and and what you have so generously offered us, is, is uh, uh,
4: such a great honor. Michael Sangha, お、お、で、バイアル体ことあるけど、どっちもこれ
3: ありがとう<咳> そういう本当に 1人1人 の心の中に痛みある。その 4つをどう解決
4: And he wants to say to that, that he, Roshi heard from Michael about his wonderful vision of healing circle work, and he said, please complete that. He said he thinks that is the most important thing that the world needs very much right now. And he said, please, the way you're looking at it and the fact that human beings, he gave it four their, the physical body and their environment and their country, their nationality, all of that and their soul and their spirit that those things all need attention. People are hurting and those places where they hurt so much need attending to, in all the ways we were talking about. So he said he hopes to be able to support that at Tahoma as well. And that please, he thinks I mean his his emphasis is on, for this time in the world right now, this is a most important work to be done.
1: Thank you. And one last note. Um, Chisan masquerades as a translator. Uh, But, in fact, her consciousness and Roshi's consciousness are one. And um, Chisan is a great teacher. And um, I have a a strong sense that... um, we need to see more of Chishan uh, in her own teacher role. Um, and so I invite you all to join me in encouraging Chi-San when she does not need her great service to Roshi. She travels the world with him, but he also has some students in Europe and India who are fluent in Japanese and can translate. And there, so there are these precious windows where she doesn't need to be with Roshi. So I'm encouraging Chisan to come and um, step out of her disguise and uh, <laughs> let us see her in the deep magnificence of the ripeness of her being. Thank you. So thank you both so much. Thank you all so much for coming. Yeah.
0: been listening to a conversation and special demonstration with Shota Haradaroshi thank you for joining us at the new school at Commonweal. the new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner our program coordinator is Kira Epstein our audio engineer is Ken Adams and our theme music is by Suzanne Chiani please visit our website at tns.commonwheel.org that's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal wheel is spelled c-o-m-m O-N-W-E-A-L You can also find us on Facebook.